Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Happy Saturday and welcome to Talkback Gardening. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. And a special good morning for those gardeners that have already been to their local garden centre and come home with tomatoes and probably maybe some uh, herbs. Could be that they've got some basil. Will they survive? (laughs) Help is at hand because, of course, it's too cold. The soil's too cold, the air's too cold to start your vegetables, summer vegetables, growing satisfactorily. But it's possible to start now and have them ready for planting out when the ground is a little bit warmer. And the person who's going to help us is, of course, Matt Coulter, who's the senior curator at the Adelaide Botanic Gardens, and we'll say good morning to him in a second. But what Matt can't propagate ain't worth propagating. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we'll take a look at uh, uh, probably seedlings and seeds. Many people want to grow their own veggies from seed. And uh, just stay, uh, pay particular attention to what Matt has got to say about temperatures, minimum temperatures and optimum temperatures in particular. But more of that shortly. Later in the program, uh, to spray or not to spray. I think the warm weather, sunny weather, is going to encourage uh, buds to burst if you've got fruit trees. Um, if the buds have burst, do you still spray or is it too late to try and control some of the fungal diseases? And then we're going to also have a quick chat to Brett Draper about why you shouldn't want to miss this next month, week's, yeah. next week's uh, Adelaide next show. Yes, it's going to be a great Royal Adelaide show. And if you are... Based regionally and you're coming into Adelaide for the Royal Adelaide Show, please come and say hello to John and I. We'll be there both Saturdays, uh, the 2nd and the 9th, with lots of special guests. Next week at 9 o'clock we've got Darren Ray coming along and many others. John, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the program. I have got a couple of uh, August ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away today. But if you come and say hello to us, I'll probably have a few freebies of ABC Gardening magazines at the Royal Adelaide Show as well. Stay tuned for that. But let's say a very warm good morning to Matt Coulter, a great friend of Talkback Gardening. Matt, lovely to have you back in the studio. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, John. Blue skies and sunshine, that combination at this time of the year gets people quite excited and they want to get out there and start planting things in the garden. But you know, and I know, and many experienced gardeners know, that it's just a little bit too cold to get those kind of summer veggies growing and uh, there are ways of doing them. And we would like to tap into your knowledge, Matt, about how do we get those plants off to a good start, whether we're planting seed or whether we're getting seedlings, uh, we need to be able to keep them warm until we can actually put them out in the garden. Now, often when you come into our program, you talk about the importance of temperatures, soil temperatures, air temperatures, and you talk about a minimum temperature and an optimum temperature. Let's just refresh why those two factors are important. Yeah, thanks for that, John. Yeah, so the minimum temperatures is the temperature where the seeds might first start to germinate, but it's a very small percentage. So when we look at, say, tomato for an example, we say the minimum temperature might be 10 degrees. But if you had 100 seeds at 10 degrees, you might only get three or four seedlings to germinate. And at that 10 degrees, it might take 42 days for actually the germination to take, take place. Whereas if you look at the optimum temperature, where it's the temperature where 
lots of seed germination will happen, so the, the greatest percentage will happen. So 80 to 90% of those seeds will germinate within that range. And then we have an ext- um, a, a temperature, a maximum temperature where it's similar to the minimum temperature where only a small percentage will germinate. So what we're trying to do is to pick that temperature range where the seeds will germinate where it's an optimum temperature and all different plants have different ranges so warmer climate plants like your your, your tomatoes capsicums melons etc at that 10 degrees you'll only get maybe one or two seeds to germinate but if you put it into that optimum range you'll get lots of seed germination happening well right now soil temperatures across adelaide are around about 12 and a half degrees i can say with a fair amount of confidence <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's obviously uh, not going to stimulate too much activity if you're planting seeds Definitely, John. So if it's sort of wet and cold, like in the last few days we've seen some nice temperatures, but the nighttime temperatures are still quite cold. So, um, And every, time, every now and then people say, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen a seed germinate in my compost or whatever, but, yeah, that's probably just one or, one or two seeds, and there may actually be hundreds of seeds there. So what we're trying to do is actually to stimulate that germination to actually change the environment so we can actually get the plant to start that germination process. If it's wet, the germination process will start, but unless it gets to the right temperature, that seed will just sit there until the optimum range is actually um, achieved. All right, so there are minimum temperatures you need to be mindful of if you're planting seed. But many people want to uh, short-circuit the system, and they off to the garden centre, and they buy themselves some seedlings. Does the same thing apply to the fact that once the plant has germinated and is growing, do those minimum and optimum temperatures still apply? Not as much, but it's still it is still quite important. So if you if you buy some um, germinated plants and you go to plant them out, the root systems will actually just sit there and not actually activate. So the plant won't die or anything like that unless it's extremely cold. But basically, the plant will just sit there until the till the conditions are right for that root growth to start to happen. So, even though we can buy um, plants now that have been germinated, still, I still like to actually germinate the seeds myself, so you know what's going on. But yeah, definitely, if you you can buy plants this time of year, but the soil is still quite cold, as you as you have mentioned, and the plants will just sort of sit there and not actually put on any growth, and they'll look sad for a while. And then when those temperatures in the soil start to rise, then you'll see the activation of the of the above ground so i'm really a big one for looking at root systems it's because they're below the ground we don't actually see them very much but it's actually um what's happening above the ground is actually relative to what's happening below the ground and that's probably the most important part part of the plant is actually below the ground so if the soil is cold and wet the plant will just sit there Okay, so there it is. Uh, we've got the soil. We're, we'll talk shortly about uh, maybe using heat pads. We've got the soil temperature, and it's up to 16 degrees, uh, but uh, there's air temperatures. Uh, so we've got the soil warm. Do we have to uh, um, warm up the air around the plants, or will just warming the soil get us by? So basically warming the soil is all about uh, germination. So once the plants actually germinate, we tend to want to, to wean it off that that heat so because if we keep it on the heat then we get um etiolation and we'll get sort of internodes that are quite uh far apart so what we're trying to do is the germination process is with the heat mat and then we gradually start weaning it off and it's a great time of year to be doing that now because you know we're going to be coming into the warmer months soon and if we can actually germinate it now take it off the heat mat and then slowly acclimatize it till it goes out into the garden if you keep it on the the heat for too long then you actually you'll get a really etiolated plant. 
talking with Matt Coulter, who's the uh, head curator at the Adelaide Botanic Gardens, and I'm quite sure that uh, there are many people out there that want to ask questions, Deb. I've got heaps of them, but I think, uh, let's see uh, what is coming in from gardeners. Well, if you would like to ask Matt a question about the keeping warm of your tomato or your basil seedlings, call in now on 1300 891, or you can share a success story with us or a method that you use on the text line which is 0467922891 I've got a couple that I'd like to put to you Matt and see what you think about them Ria says I have two tomato seedlings I've already bought and I've put one in the ground I'm doing an experiment as I've put it in the exact same spot in my garden north facing with a warm wall behind it as my neighbour who has a self-seeded tomato grow the whole of winter I also have a cloche over it um Interesting thing, we probably should never grow tomatoes in the same spot year after year. because we need toads? Yeah, exactly. So we try and at least rest it for one or two years if possible. Um, but in saying that, yeah, tomatoes can actually grow right through the year, right through winter if they've given a microclimate. But I find once, um, if you grow it for a year and then you plant a newly plant, that newly planted plant will then start to overtake the one that's lasted the whole year. And people do it with things like chilies and capsicums where, okay, the plant's alive, but it's not that healthy. And really these plants are, are annuals, but they can survive for a few years. But generally speaking, once you plant that new plant, you get the optimum conditions. That newly planted plant will then start to take over for sure. Okay, so interesting experiment, Ria. Um, James from Hope Valley, I'm not sure what seedlings he's talking about, but he says re-warming up seedlings. I scrape off five inches of soil. I lay out five inches of lawn cuttings, then I rake the topsoil back over the lawn cuttings. The decomposing lawn warms up the seedlings. I use this for flower seedlings as well. Yeah, that's a great idea. So obviously the lawn clippings will start to compost down. In that composting process, a lot of heat is formed. So people probably know when they cut their lawns, there's a lot of heat in that. So that's a really great idea. And it's basically anything that we can do to heat the soil or the media up is all very beneficial. That's an excellent idea. Brilliant, James. Now, Malcolm has called in from Kenton Valley. Good morning, Malcolm. Uh, Good morning. How are you? We're well, thanks. That's good. Um, My question is, I've got some uh, various seeds that I've started in a heat mat um, about two weeks ago. The tomatoes have started to pop up and some sweet corn started to pop up. Do I wait for all of them to... um, pop up before I take them off of the seat, the heat mat or do I um, leave them till all of the uh, punnets have um, uh, the seeds have surfaced? Thanks for that question, Malcolm. So generally speaking, you will get successive um, germination. Are they all in sort of um, one container or one punnet together or are they separate? Yeah, they are. Yeah. What I would do, I'd actually start to take those off because generally um, what will germinate under that heat regime will would have germinated so you probably won't get much more germination process i'd actually take them off the heat the thing is if you leave those on the heat for too long the the plants will start to become a little bit too soft so once they've actually germinated you want to sort of start to harden them off a little bit if you leave them there for too long then the plants that you've actually germinated may start to to um to, to, to start to go backwards a little bit so once they've germinated then i would take them off so just just remove the ones that have germinated and leave the others on the heat mat until they do. Uh, no, I'd take I'd take if they're in a punnet, I'd take that punnet away from the heat mat. Okay, Malcolm, thank you very much for calling in. If you've got a question for Matt, we've got him for about another 10 minutes. Call in on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. 
Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Now, let's go back to that question by Malcolm, and he has obviously got his seeds uh, in a punnet. Um, and that's what many people do. Others will have individual tiny little uh, containers, mm-hmm. and they'll put one plant or they'll maybe put two seeds in, in, in a one little pot, um, and that way uh, it develops its root system. Uh, whereas if you've got your seedlings in a, a punnet, you've actually got to disturb the root system. Could you just talk a little bit about the importance of looking after the root system and, and is one system better than the other? Yes, John. The system I prefer is what you mentioned there is actually what we call direct sowing. So we may just sow one seed to a container. We actually use biodegradable pots and we actually sow one seed to each biodegradable pot so we can actually take them off the heat as they've germinated and the ones that haven't germinated can then stay on. What, <clears throat> what we had before with Malcolm sort of saying they had them all in one punnet, you sort of don't have that ability to actually do that. And I'm a big believer of actually being able to do, take, as things germinate, to take them off and let other things to come through. So I'm a big believer of actually um, direct sowing. But you have to really understand the quality of your seed. If it's not good quality seed, then you start to waste a lot of material. But generally speaking particularly with the bigger seeds because they're really quite easy to, to direct sow. But then when you come across like small seeds, say things like basil and parsley and things like that, it's really quite difficult to direct sow into um, one pot. That's and then that I would do a punnet system then. But where you can to direct sow one or two seeds into one container is preferable. And at this stage, people usually don't want large quantities. They're not doing their big planting, their main plantings of their tomatoes or cucumbers and things like that. They probably only want a few plants so that it's possible you can actually buy little... You mentioned those biodegradable pots they're made out of mm-hmm. uh, cocoa peat. <coughs> and you can buy a little packet, say, of 10 of them, uh, and it might cost you $5 or something like that, uh, uh, so that you've got an expense there. But they probably are... of quite cost-effective way of, of getting started. It's quite a cheap system, John, and the, the beauty of it, you don't have any root disturbance. So the, the roots germinate and then they grow into the pot rather than pulling it out of the pot to disturb the roots. And I find if you pot those ones up where in the biodegradable pot, within one or two days you'll see root growth. But if you actually take them out and then disturb the roots, you, you're looking at a one- to two-week delay. So you're, like, you're a couple of weeks ahead already by doing it that system. And lo- we even do lots of plants, even like our desert pea, which are notorious for not liking their roots being disturbed. It's a great system. Look, just on the text line, Sue and Helen from Hawthorne, <coughs> Dean, are wanting you to talk through the process of once you take them off the heat mat in a bit of detail. So just to let them know that we've, we've seen those. Yeah, so when we talk about heat mats, so you might want to um, have these heat mats inside your house rather than outside because, you know, it's much colder. And so basically what we're trying to do is heat the soil where the seed is. So once we start to see germination, um, we will then start to slowly harden that off. So rather than um, just germinating it and then putting it outside, we may harden it off inside for a little bit. Then we might harden it off then put it into the shade house or into a shade area for a little bit and then outside so basically what we're trying to do is is um to get the plant used to the environment that's going to grow and not too many drastic changes so what sort of media though do you put those seedlings into so we make our own propagation media so we want it to be a nice light media that's got lots of air um, and where water can actually um, move through so we use um 
our system is a perlite and coir based material so we use a very highly aerated 80% perlite 80% perlite and 20%, 20% yeah and people think oh that's a lot of perlite but uh, it works very very effectively yeah it's really good isn't it john so yeah so um that and the, the beauty of it is what um the water will move through the media so um and the thing is if your media gets too wet trying to get that water out is almost impossible but if you need to actually water it's not an issue. You can just water it and then the water will flow through. Yes, that's, that's right. And overwatering is the Achilles heel. So, okay, there's, you've got your little tray uh, with seedlings and you've pricked off your little seedlings and you put them into little containers. And uh, I, I, to me, you know, they're little half-litre containers. They're little pot probably about four or five centimetres wide. Um, and uh, so if you've got uh, your seedlings growing in these little pots presumably you've still got to keep them warm uh, at, at this stage. Yeah, definitely. So you don't want it to be too drastic. Even though when you're taking them off the heat, you still want some warmth about yes. because it will really stress the plant out. So once you take it off the um, the heat mat, you still want a bit of ambient um, heat around the leaves and the plant. So you don't want to sort of stress it out by too much by taking it off the heat because what you'll find that the plant will just wilt straight away because it's too drastic. So, yeah, definitely if you can sort of heat the air a little bit but once we don't want to keep heating the soil once the plants germinate. Yep. The heating of the soil is all about getting that seed to germinate. And it's a matter of keeping the, the leaves nice and comfortable. Two strategies I've used. One is, uh, so I've got my little half-litre pot with a tomato seedling or cucumber seedling in it and just getting a, a cordial bottle, taking yes. the bottom off and putting the cordial one on that. Yes. Uh, just a comment on that. Uh, but uh, at the same time, um, also I've used a very good ex- uh, uh, it worked very effectively is just getting your uh, uh, containers uh, your clear um, storage containers uh, and with and they're tall ones mm-hmm. and they might be sort of a 20 or 30 liter uh, container and you can probably put 10 <laughs> little small pots in a in a plastic container um, and then lid on or lid off yep. so could you just quickly comment on the the effectiveness of those two systems yeah that's a fantastic system john we actually we can use that system for doing cuttings as well. So, but the beauty of that is you can have the lid on where it's really high humidity, keeping the warmth in. Then you can just take the lid off a little bit, just let a bit of air exchange happening. And then each day you can make that um, gap a bit bigger. So by doing that, you're just sort of um, minimising the stress. And I think that's a great little system, having those boxes where you can put plants in. They stay nice and cosy and warm. And then you can actually just re- remove the lid as needed and just basically gradually get the plant used to the, the changing environment. All right. It's a great and, system, though. And yeah. you've got your box with your seedlings inside it uh, with a lid on or off uh, location. Uh, if you put it in full sun, will they get too hot, or do you need to have some sun? No, we, ne- we need some sort of light, so we don't want to be in complete dark, but we don't want that really, even though it's this time of year the light's not that strong, but as the days get longer, the light can, can get stronger, so we wanted a bit of... Um, a little bit of protection from the sun, but then we sort of just wanted to be able to gradually um, give that plant some more light. But we don't want to definitely don't want to put that right into the full uh, bright sunlight straight away. We want to be able to have some some protection from the light definitely. Okay, so your little seedlings growing, it's powering away, and you think, oh, are you hungry? Should I feed you or not? 
Definitely. So in our propagation mix, there's no fertiliser whatsoever. So the seed has enough energy for it to, to germinate. But what you'll find if you actually don't start to feed it after that, that the plant will start to show some nutrient, nutrient stress. So you can either do some uh, liquid feeding. So you can do that on a, on a one to two weekly, or you can put some slow release. But definitely once that seed has germinated, then it does need a little bit of help to actually to keep it growing. Or you'll find it will start to show definitely uh, show nutrient deficiencies. You can buy liquid organic or you can buy liquid that's manufactured. It doesn't make much difference. I do like the organic because, you know, it's adding sort of microflora to the soil as well. And then by doing that, when you actually put it out into your soil, you, you've got some microbes in the soil. So there's nothing against manufactured, but I really like to use the organic. I have a, quite a big uh, veggie garden at home and, you know, I liquid feed regularly with an organic solution. And liquids come from either fish or compost or uh, uh, other. Uh, you got a preference? No, generally, it's, I have no preference, but yeah, the, I mean, the, the seaweed um, type products actually help with um, stress as well. So, but yeah, any of the organic based fertilizers are very good, but I All don't right. actually have a preference. Now, you, you, we were talking fertilizers and you mentioned seaweed, uh, and I keep on saying to listeners, look, seaweed's not a fertilizer, and that raises the issue. There are now a whole range of of stimulants, plant stimulants and soil stimulants, and they are there uh, to actually stimulate. How effective are they generally as a, a propagator? And and in particular, uh, you've okay, you, you put your a little bit of fertilizer on your seedling. Uh, would it help to also put on some stimulants, or is that going overboard? No, they're quite good. I mean, the stimulants is basically mirroring what the plant's producing itself. So the plants have natural occurring hormones in the plants, and these are the things that, that drive plant growth, flowering, etc. So these stimulants are actually um, the products that actually help things like root growth, root stimulation. So if you can have that as well as the fertiliser, definitely do, you do see the effect. All right, we're talking with Matt Coulter, who's the curator of the Adelaide Botanic Garden. I know you can't get any more expertise in the field than Matt Coulter brings to the program. Getting a few comments and questions on the text line, which is 0467922891. You're going to be very quick if you want Matt on the phone line. That's 1300 221. Uh, this texter says, I planted a dozen Tommy Toe tomato seeds in Jiffy Peat pellets on the 14th of August and keep them on a north-facing windowsill. Most seeds have germinated now. Also, I have a self-sown tomato plant that has grown all winter under an orange tree in 100% shade. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? I know quite a few people this year, even though we've had sort of gloomy sort of weather, it hasn't been ultra cold night times this year. So um, definitely, if, if you do give them a bit of protection, there's no reason you can't actually grow and harvest tomatoes through the year. But, I mean, they do need some protection to be able to do that. But that the, the biodegradable pot system, which was mentioned there, is a really fantastic system. Um, things can germinate really well. But if you just can give that a little bit of heat, just to take the edge off it. So if, if it's like 10 to 12 degrees, even if you can just raise it for by two or three degrees it's remarkable what the results can be seen yeah get that goldilocks temperature going this texter warns that perlite is full of silica so wear a dusk mask definitely and uh, i think it's really good to wear a dusk mask anyway if you're doing lots of stuff in compost and in yes um uh 
your potting mixes. Yes. I certainly do. But definitely very important with perlite to do that. Yeah. And also when you're u- when you're using uh, any kind of manures, in particular, but uh, using gloves, so definitely. don't overlook the importance of gloves. Yep. No, I couldn't agree more. And yep. really st- solid leather gloves. I don't go into the garden without them because I no. have I have brown snakes in my garden. So uh, <laughs> you don't want to disturb one of those. No, David in uh, David in Lobethal says the vegetable display garden at the bottom car park of Mount Lofty Botanical Gardens is brilliant. I look forward to the new annual displays every season. And just finally, Dot in Stockport says, what about planting out brassicas? Can that be done all year round or does the soil temperature matter there too? Now, brassicas do tend to be cooler climate um, plants, but there's no reason you can't grow things like broccoli all year round. There are some brassicas that definitely can be done. Their main season is the cooler climates, but there are certain ones that you know, new selections and that they can actually be grown all year round. But yes. broccoli is a good example. Yeah, broccoli, of that. I think, all year round, and some of the uh, Chinese uh, yes. uh, the bok choys and things like Definitely. that are, are yep. good all year. Fantastic, particularly if you like your salads mm, and things. Mm, mm. Listen, you were talking about that, that display, a lovely display of vegetables at the Adelaide Botanic Gardens. Uh, before we take a look at what's uh, available at Botanic Gardens from a, a visual point of view, uh, visually, the Adelaide Botanic Gardens will be at the show. That's right, John. Yeah, so we're really very excited by this. This is probably the first display we've put on for the last 25 years. Woohoo! Isn't it? Yeah, it's, and we're really excited by it. We did put our toes into the water last year and putting a small display of our um, remarkable Morphophallus titanium collection just to see how we can go. <laughs> and didn't, some people may, didn't may smell either. No, and some people <laughs> may, have, may have heard about that plant before. It's a plant that we're really proud of, but the decision this that's year... That's the was, corpse flower. That's the corpse right. flower. And this year was a decision to actually to relive the past and to be part of the show again. So um, we've been busy in the nursery getting all these plants together and we're going to be putting on a full flower display. We've got a really good team together with myself. We've got a new team member, Danny, who's working in the nursery. We've got John Sandham, who's a collections development officer, who's been with the garden for over 30 years. And we've got Tina, who I've worked for for the past 16 years, who's just retired and is a the most fantastic floral artist and she's going to be doing a great floral display and we're going to, have to be flowering plants and we're so excited by it to be okay. part of it again great. and so it'll be a display but you won't have you won't be there and your staff won't be there to answer questions no we'll be there like looking after the plants but we'll, we'll have brochures and things like that but yes. the whole thing is about to promote the three gardens so a lot of people understand that we've got Adelaide and some people may know about Mount Lofty but we've also got Watunga Botanic Gardens and the beauty of the Botanic Gardens within South Australia is all these gardens are only 15 minutes to away from each other mm-hmm. and other botanic gardens in different states that have uh, satellite gardens they're like an hour 90 minutes away from each other so mm-hmm. it's really fantastic within south australia they can have three distinct botanic gardens really quite different collections that we all can see and they're the, they're the people's gardens they're free entry and yeah i just really encourage people to come because yeah we're really proud of what we've done well just a quick comment on what you'll see at each three yeah, so at the moment at the Adelaide Botanic Gardens, um, we've got the Little Sprouts Kitchen Garden, which is looking really good. We also have got the the Guy Amelia, the Dorianthes um, Excelsior, which is and the Palmeri, which have the, the giant flower spike from New South Wales and Queensland. They're flowering. Um, we also have the Portmore Magnolia, the Magnolia Figo, which has that bubblegum aroma that's flowering at the moment. We've got the the Cilia Peruviana, the the plant from the Mediterranean. And the other thing I'd like to mention is we actually got a, a a nice project with the Mediterranean Garden Society. We're actually redoing the Mediterranean Garden this year. 
because next year there's going to be the International Conference with the Mediterranean Garden Society be here in, in South Australia. That's a really big project we're working on at the moment. Um, the Mount Lofty Botanic Gardens is cooler climate plants, so lots of magnolias flowering, the large-leaf rhododendrons. Um, the great thing this time of year is the hellebore display. There's just thousands of hellebores in full flower at the moment. They just look magnificent, along with the daffodils. And with Tunga Botanic Gardens, it's a South African and Australian flora, so lots of South Africa... Um, Proteaceae, things like the um, the proteas, leucodendrons, leucosperms, but also the um, the Australian native proteaceae, banksias and hakeas flowering, and some really fantastic Western Australian eucalypts. So over the whole three gardens, there's some fantastic things looking great at the moment. And we should say that Watunga Botanic Gardens are in Blackwood. Aren't That's they? correct. Yep, yes. So That's our smallest garden, but it's it was it's it was um, donated by the Ashley family to the to to the state, and um, yeah, it's about uh, 17 hectares, and yeah, it's a, it's a nice little garden as well. Yeah. Well, Matt Coulter, always a pleasure to have you in the studio. You've got great knowledge and we really appreciate you sharing it with us. Really look forward to seeing the Adelaide Botanic Gardens display back where it should be at the Royal Adelaide Show this year. Thank you very much for coming My, my pleasure. The Thanks for inviting me. Lovely. And Matt Coulter, um, who is curator of the Adelaide Botanic Gardens. We will get back to your general talkback gardening calls in just a moment. The number to call in on is 1300 891. Ahead on the program, we'll catch up with Brett Draper and find out what you can see at the Royal Adelaide Show from next weekend where John... John and I are going to be, and we hope that you're going to turn up and say hello. And I've also got two ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away as well, so stay tuned for that. This is Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. We are Talk Back Gardening. We would love your calls this morning. John Lamb is ready and waiting on 1300 222 891. Stevie in Stirling has done this. Now, Stevie, what's happening to your lemons? Um, well, unfortunately, oh, good morning, John and Deb. Um, unfortunately, they're rotting on the tree. I've had the tree for 20 plus years. It was here when I bought the house, and it gives lemons 12 months of the year. It's been so healthy. But the lemons are sort of, um, they go a bit beige on one side and then when you touch them they are very squidgy and soft and it seems to be spreading around quite quickly. Is it only on the mature lemons or is it on the young ones as well? The young ones as well, yes. Oh, that's a bit of a problem. Um, often, mm. I mean, you mentioned that uh, you've got lemons 12 months of the year, which mm. means that uh, you, you've got some fairly mature lemons there. And what can mm. often happen is that once they get mature, they start to uh, uh, break down. And often you mm. get a windy day and uh, they belt against sticks and uh, branches and twigs and things like that, and they get a little damage there. And in comes mm. a little... Uh, skin rot and that can then develop into uh, a further rot in, in within the plant itself um, right. does that sound like it is or does it uh, no it doesn't actually because even the even the new ones that are coming up and they're sort of in the in a, in a tree and quite sheltered they're still eventually getting this rot at what stage do you see the rot starting to, to develop um at what stage of the size of the lemon do you mean? Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, oh gosh, you know, sort of a lemon that could fit in the palm of your hand, or my hand, a small hand. <laughs> right, uh, and the rot, uh, and it's on uh, only on one side? Yeah, it starts on one side. Is yeah. it the sunny <laughs> side? Oh, uh, probably is, I think, maybe. 
could it be that uh, all of a sudden uh, uh, it's it's in semi shade and and for a, mm. an hour or so a day it's getting sunshine? Probably it might be. Yeah. It's hard to tell because it's quite big. That would be a very logical thing, but uh, you're more likely to have that problem during summer rather. Than, but I mean, if we go yeah. back to uh, uh, autumn, uh, late summer, autumn, and we had some warm days there, uh, it, that what happens is you get uh, the the plant, the, the fruit is in shade and all of a sudden it gets a few hours of sunshine and that uh, yeah. it, it can't adjust its cells. The plant can uh, adjust it, yeah. it, it itself quite uh, quickly, but it can't uh, adjust that quickly. And what happens is you get cell damage and you don't notice it and it builds up and builds up. And then uh, during winter, uh, you get very, very moist conditions and conditions which are ideal for uh, fungal rots and that uh, yeah. uh, if there's damage there to the skin, that's more likely to start that one. Um, mm. So um, that may be the right thing. The important thing is what can you do? Um, yeah. And I think that if you've got damage to the skin, what you don't want is the rot forming. So when the mm. fruit is at that stage where you're starting to see problems, spraying the mm. tree with copper get liquid copper it's more effective than the other forms the other forms will still work but spray the tree uh, while the fruit is still pretty small with copper and that just puts on a fungicide and reduces the likelihood of a, a fungal rot developing right so you pray, you just spray the lemons not the not the leaves oh, i spray the, the whole tree Spray the whole tree. Spray the whole tree, yeah, because if there's a fungal spores floating around, uh, that will stop uh, them building up. And uh, if you find that you've got uh, uh, a kind of a winter that we've just had where day after day you just get Mm. showery weather, uh, Mm. you're likely Mm. to get uh, fungal diseases. And so uh, in the middle of winter, if you're still getting rots on a sunny day, I'd Mm. be putting on another copper spray but two sprays in a season probably would be your maximum okay lovely thanks john my favorite gardening program thank you oh thanks stevie lovely to hear that from sterling rob is in claire now what's happened to your tree fern rob well it's a magnificent tree fern it's about nearly two meters wide in the fronds about six or seven of them the trunk is about half a meter high it's in a raised bed in a courtyard Fantastic, except about a month ago, um, the strong winds, it appeared to break at uh, ground level. Oh, no. It's still fine. It's still looking good. Yes. But but it's leaning over. Um, I'm not sure what I can do with it. Um, so I'm just seeking advice. How much of the trunk is, uh, of the top part of the trunk is attached to the bottom part of the trunk? Uh, it's, it's sort of... Um, semi-attached the the in-ground bit is um part of it is still attached but if um, you take a look at the circumference uh, of uh, the trunk would be it is more than 50 percent of the circumference still attached to the base or is it less than no that? there's probably there's probably less than that less than that right um I, that being the case i would chop it off at where it's damaged and then yep. I'd start all over again. And if you... You can do that, can you? Yeah, that's right. Let's say that uh, you've still got a metre left of, of trunk. If you put uh, uh, get some nice well-drained soil and put it uh, into the well-drained soil, and you'd probably need to put a third of the trunk into the hole, 
otherwise it'll fall over right. again. But yeah. uh, you, you could start it, yeah, just dig another hole, start it off again. You may need to stake it for a, a, a first year or so, so just in okay. case it doesn't blow over or get pushed over. But it will reform new roots from the area that where you've cut. Uh, many people have got a, a tree fern uh, and they've got it under a shade house or something like that and it keeps on growing and it starts to push its way up through the shade house and that's quite a smart way of just chopping it off at what height you want or actually you've got to say I want two metres of height and then you've got to also allow for another half a metre to go in the soils. <laughs> but okay. yeah. Well, I'll do that then. But they're tougher than many people think. I was going to say, they look quite prehistoric, don't they? You can imagine when the dinosaurs oh, roamed the earth, there yes. would have been tree ferns around. Yes, I think if you've got a large garden, a large shady garden, to have a uh, just a, a token tree fern, I think would be absolutely marvellous. Mm. And now, of course, with these misters, you can get these lovely little sort of uh, systems uh, you can install on the rafters, and it comes out just with a, a, a mist. Uh, the, the people are putting them around their pergolas uh, as cooling systems, but they are absolutely brilliant if you've got uh, an outdoor area and outdoor pots and you want to keep them thriving during summer, install one of these fogging systems and they're absolutely brilliant. There you go, Rob. Thank you very much for the call. Let's go to Renmark, beautiful Renmark. Alex, you'd like some advice on separating your rhubarb. Good morning. Ooh. Good morning, folks. Yes. I've got a very vigorous uh, rhubarb plant I've had for about four, two and a half, three years old now. And uh, apparently it's been, uh, there's been some sexual activity in the garden and now we've got three little children <laughs> rhubarb around the mother. What can I do with them? Because they're all competing for nutrients. That's brilliant, yes. Because, I mean, uh, rhubarb will actually uh, set seed. Um don't try it because you might be waiting a long time. Um, and, uh, but uh, certainly it can actually uh, uh, fertilise, the, the flowers can actually fertilise and form seed. And if the seed drops and gets the right conditions, you've got a nice little seedling. Now, right now would be the time to dig up. So get a trowel and come out probably about five centimetres all round, maybe depending on the size of your seedling. How, how tall are the seedlings? Oh, they're quite, yeah, fairly big. They've got big stalks on them, pretty thick stalks. They're big, it doesn't say much to me. Is it 10 centimetres, 20 centimetres tall? Oh, yeah, 30 centimetres, big. Oh, the seedlings? Y yeah, oh, yeah, okay, baby. Right, oh, well, you don't need a trowel, you need a spade. Um, yes, so and, and instead of coming out five centimetres, you'll come out probably twenty-five centimetres, or, or come out uh, at least twenty centimetres all round, and go down twenty centimetres, lift up the crown, and that stage you'll have ninety-five percent of the root system that will be there. They don't have much of a root system, and that's why they are very susceptible to uh, poor drainage, and, and uh, they dry out very, very quickly. But so dig them up and and move them to wherever you want to make sure you improve the soil and you've got good drainage before you actually carry out the operation and you're in like Flynn Well, well the thing is uh, the, the, the children are within about 30 centimetres of the big mother plant and do you think I'll upset her? Oh well come out 50% between the mother and the baby and uh, you'll chop off uh, probably roots from both of them 
but uh, so long as you're only disturbing one side of the the mother plant and uh, uh, similarly for the baby plant, you'll find that should be sufficient roots to be able that both of them can look after themselves. Mm. So get that recovery. Good, thank you. And and it has given seeds often, you know, about uh, two metres away, little ones have popped up too. So yeah, it's a... It's oh, unreal. Yeah, Uber. keep an eye on that. And when they're small, put them into small containers and then presumably, you know, there are uh, people that have little fundraising uh, episodes and people sell pot plants. Take those along. You know, they'll be sold like gold. <laughs> Thank you very much, Alex. Great to hear from you this morning. Well, I've been told off because... Apparently, I said, and sorry, when you've been on radio and you're talking, you don't know when you get it wrong. I told the listeners to join John and I. Come and say hello to John and I when we're at the show, and it should be John and me. Yes, John and I will be at the show next Saturday morning, so come and say hello to John and me. Okay. Well, I'm a a, – people will be well aware I'm a grammatical uh, philistine. (laughs) To me, it's about communication. And so long as you understand the message of what's being delivered, to me, that's more important than being grammatically correct. But I'll get it right now, uh, and I'll probably uh, get it wrong. (laughs) What what I have said has just upset a lot of people, particularly school teachers, and I'm sorry about that. Please don't write to the ABC because I know it's a failing I have and – I mean, at this stage, I don't think I'm going to change much. Well, come and say hello to John and me at the Royal (laughs) Show. We'll be there next week, as will uh, our very first guest to get things kicked off next week, who is Brett Draper, who is a Deputy Chair of the Horticulture Committee at the Royal Agricultural and Horticultural Society of South Australia. Brett, welcome back to the program. Yes, good morning, Devon. Look, I'll be there too, me, myself and I. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're in the countdown now, only a week away. We are. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that it really is only a week away. And uh, look, things are really starting to come together nicely down in the Goida Pavilion. Tell us a little bit about the colour. I mean, you walk through there and and, and there's all these flowers, not necessarily flowers, vegetables. Where do they come from and what are they They, looking like? They do, John. Well, fortunately, yesterday I had the opportunity to to visit Living Colour Nursery uh, north of Adelaide, where we grow or they contract grow a lot of the plants that we use within our displays and particularly underneath the plantings, underneath the scarecrow display. And they had some amazing... I've always really wanted to have some really big delphiniums growing and flowering for the show. And this year they've nailed it. They've got some absolutely amazing pots out there. And the flower spikes at the moment are nearly a metre tall already. So they're going to be absolutely spectacular. And foxgloves, John, they had foxgloves that we've had growing on. Some of them have got up to five spikes coming on them. I was absolutely blown away. How wonderful. that's just a small part because the veggie component that we have in within this display is also looking spectacular. There was massive, the ornamental kale in some cases was 30 to 40 centimetres in diameter out of the pots. It was just looking spectacular. So I think we're really in for a treat. It's it's going to really make the display quite a wow this, this year. What about ornamentals? Oh, they come not from living colour, but they come from uh, uh, one of our other major uh, wholesale nurseries. Yeah, look, we, we source them from a range of local wholesale nurseries. And uh, again, I had the opportunity to visit another one which was close by yesterday, um, Heine's Wholesale Nursery. And the stock out there is looking spectacular. And you will see some of that those fantastic plantings within 
um, the, uh, one of our main displays that we've got down there, which Sophie Thompson is putting together, um, which the display is entitled Cool, and she uses a lot of climate-compatible plants that are in there, but the plants are very, very full and very, very colourful, and it will sure make a wonderful display. And Sophie's display is not just what to do in the garden, it's what not to do. Yes, correct. So the whole idea of cool is it's, it's supposed to be cool in every sense of the word, but, but you know, it's really in response um, basically to, you know, basically what we're seeing within our suburbs with urban infill and, and how we can actually help to mitigate the heat island effect, but also have a uh, productive, biodiverse, livable and actual cool space to be able to live in. And we, we really think that messaging is very, very important because as our futures um, get hotter and drier, we need to be able to make sure that we have cool, livable spaces for us and for nature to be able to live in. But, John, look, on top of that this year, we're really, really excited. We have four landscape display gardens going in by professional master landscapers, some of our top landscapers here in, in South Australia, and they will form part of our best feature garden competition. And um, some of the work that's underway um, right now on the ground in there is just looking spectacular. The, the calibre of, of some of the the actual design is just really, really amazing. So I think visitors to the area will be very, very pleased this year. Well, we'll certainly look forward to talking to you. You'll lead the program for us uh, next Saturday and uh, give us uh, some extra excitement uh, about the colour and what to see. And, of course, you'll mm. be followed by Sophie. Well, uh, we'll have a quick chat to Sophie, but there's so many people to talk to. <laughs> yes. I think it's going to be a, a great show. And uh, in terms of displays, uh, it's, it's as good as and maybe better than some. Oh look, I would I would think so, John. And isn't it wonderful? I know you were talking with Matt Coulter earlier, and he was he was talking about the botanic gardens display. But it is wonderful to have the botanic gardens involved again, um, because that really just adds an element. They're such an important part. Their role in plant conservation and what they play within our state is really really important. So it's wonderful to have them involved. And they've had a very long association with the Royal Agricultural and Horticultural Society um, in the establishment, um, or both were established, you know. Uh, in fact, the Royal Agri Agriculture and Horticultural Society was actually um, responsible for establishing the Botanic Gardens here. So, you know, there is, there's a really good synergy there, which is wonderful. Fantastic, Brett. Well, I can't wait to catch you next Saturday morning at the Royal Adelaide Show. John and I will do the usual. We'll jump into the car and try and make it from the studio to the Wavell Showgrounds and kick off at half past eight with you. And uh, good luck in the final week of preparations. Thank you, Deb. Look, it's all coming together and it, look, it will be wonderful. And I look so much forward to seeing everybody there in person. Wonderful. Thank you, Brett Draper. He is Deputy Chair of the Horticulture Committee at the Royal Adelaide and Horticultural Society of South Australia. And next week when we catch up with him, John, I'm going to ask him which competitions he's been in <laughs> because I know every year he uh, enters so many different competitions. And speaking of competitions, if you haven't won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month and you would like to get your hands on an August ABC Gardening Australia magazine, then please call now on 1300 222 891. This is Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. 
Just on the issue of Royal Adelaide show and shows in general, Michelle has sent a text through on 0467 922 891 saying the Cactus and Succulent Society is preparing a fabulous display in the Goida Pavilion. They'd certainly had a cracker last year. I remember that very well. Uh, and Elaine at Myrtle Bank says, please remind people it's the Gawler show this weekend. So consider yourself reminded. Uh, and thank you to Maz on the issue of um, getting grammar right, says it reminds me of Dame Edna's famous excuse I. <laughs> yes, quite right. Um, Irene in Ingle Farm, you have got an issue with your tulips. Good morning. Good morning to both of you. Yes, a quick question for John. I have got tulips and some daffodils that have got beautiful luscious leaf growth, but absolutely nothing in the way of flowers. And I'm wondering if they, are, they get fed at the appropriate time, Am I likely to get any floral display next season? Absolutely, yes. Now's the time to start on a fortnightly program of half-strength foliar fertiliser. I said foliar, not liquid, because, okay, it's liquid, but there are certain fertilisers which can go straight into the leaves. That's what you want. So make sure when you go to the garden centre, you want to say, is this a foliar fertiliser? And use that, and use it half strength on a fortnightly basis until the leaves die back naturally themselves. And uh, that may be quite some time, particularly if you're feeding it. And just make sure that uh, if we do run into dry periods and they're still going, uh, just uh, don't overwater them, but just keep the soil moist so that uh, uh, the moisture can work with the nutrition and f- produce your flowers for next year. Well, thank you very much. I quite look forward to seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Irene, for the call. Lovely to hear from you. And congratulations to Greg on York Peninsula and Kate in Uradler, who have won the ABC Gardening Australia magazines. We'll have more if you turn up next week at the Royal Adelaide Show and ask John a question in person. Uh, we want to get you along there and, and engage with us if you possibly can. John. We- so much to talk about in That's the last right. few yeah. minutes While of the While we're still talking uh, uh, shows, talking to Darren Ray yesterday, and he gave us a special show forecast. Uh, and bear Ooh. in mind that uh, it's winter, late winter, early spring. Things are changing very, very quickly. But at this stage, it looks like Saturday's going to be a bottler. And the beginning of Sunday will be pretty good too. Maybe Sunday evening in come some spots. And uh, Monday and Tuesday could be a little bit showery. But then the rest of it, uh, there may be sort of lots of cloud and a bit of cool weather but no significant rain that Darren can see Mm. uh, for the rest except maybe right towards the end but uh, as I say the systems are changing but it looks like I think it will be typical show weather. Oh great well (laughs) that's a beautiful thing for people to be able to do during the daytime without getting wet especially if you're trying to tromp a a load of young people around with you. Uh, Look um, we have got just a few minutes left John and to spray or not to spray right now because we're at this change of season it is yes bud burst for those that have got uh, fruit trees particularly stone fruit trees and, and maybe apples and pears and things like that but curl leaf is the big concern uh, on the stone fruits and if you put on a copper spray before the buds open uh, you can control you won't have that particular curl leaf problem but uh, the buds have been opening very very slowly um, and I think the warm weather we're going to get uh, in the sunny weather we're going to do is going to hasten that so take a look at what's happening and right now that today look at it and say if maybe only 25 percent of the buds have opened i would still spray 
if you've got 50% of the buds have opened, I'd say don't spray because there's a likelihood you might cause damage and it's too late to cause uh, to prevent. Once the flowers are open, it's too late to spray. Um, the other thing I think it's it's worth uh, keeping in mind that if you are not too sure are you going to spray and the buds are coming out, if we continue to get warm weather and dry weather, the flowers uh, will open and uh, the little buds inside, they'll grow away from the disease. They'll grow faster than the disease. If we get showery weather, then obviously uh, the, the growth is slower and you're more likely to get damage. So considering the forecast, I'd say in most areas, unless you're in a prone area where you always get curl leaf on, on uh, st- your stone fruits, I would think you might get away with not spraying this <laughs> season but anyway it's all uh, there we are i think i need to sort of pile out deb well we'll be piling into the car um, and heading to the royal adelaide show next weekend i'm so excited and so next week i'll say good gardening